Collide Conference is coming up, so we're excited about that. And uh, here's the deal. Uh, Ricky will give you more details about it. But when you watch a video like that, like most of us in this room, some of us are like, uh, that video kind of freaks me out, honestly. I'm not sure what's happening in that video. It may not connect and relate to a lot of you, but you have to understand this. Uh, the theme of the conference is the future is now. And, and, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to appeal to a generation that statistically they're falling away from the Judeo-Christian ethics. They're falling away from church. They're, they're getting to a place where they're just like, we're just fed up with, with all of that. And we just, we don't, we want to do something big. We want to, we want to be a part of something. Uh, we we want to make a difference. But we know that the only hope of the world is found in Jesus. And so what this conference is, is it's just trying to give purpose to a generation and to help them to see it's like, look, don't wait until you're older. Don't wait till you're out of college. Don't wait till you've got further on in life to seize the purpose of God for your life. The future is now. The future is now, and, and we want them to be able to own that and say, yeah, I'm going to, as, as a young man, as a young woman, uh, who may not even be sure what I'm going to wear tomorrow, I am still going to choose today to follow Jesus with all of my heart. So if you have a student, I'd encourage you, get them to this conference, please, please. I, I, I believe it will change their life. Some of your students need huge change. And I don't want you to amen right now. It's not wise to do that. And some of them, they may be doing well. They may love the Lord, but I promise you this, there is always a deeper level of his glory that he wants them to experience. And these conferences are designed to help them to get to that place where they get to experience a little bit more of God. So I want you guys to make sure if you got a student, and Ricky will give you more details, if you got a student, as your pastor, I'm asking you, Make every effort to make sure that they get to this conference. It is going to be really, really, really good. I also wanted to mention we had our, our summer camp, our Kid Life summer camp that happened this last week. And we had, I think, like 18,000 kids there or something like It wasn't that much, but it feels like a lot. You get over 100 kids around that age, it's going to feel like thousands of people, okay? And so they had an amazing time. They had a bunch of kids give their heart to Jesus to make Jesus the boss of their life. That's the way they say it in kid life. And it was amazing. But here's the thing that I was so thankful for. When I went over there, we dropped off one of our kids to go to, to kid life camp. And when we got there and we went into the cabin or getting him situated and stuff, and we're over the boys' cabin. I saw these men, men up in there getting ready to pour their lives and to these, these boys. These men, they have full-time jobs. They have families of their own. They have all that stuff going on. They're just as busy as anyone else. And they said, you know what? I'm gonna take vacation time to go to camp and hang out with a bunch of kids because these boys need to see an example of a godly man in their life. And I'm so thankful. And here's the deal. I talked to one of the guys that was there. One of the guys, I was like, man, this is amazing. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, thank you. Uh, and I hope you're taking a week off when you get done with this. He's like, no, actually, uh, we're going to wrap up Thursday morning. I got to work Thursday night. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I, he may have died. I don't even know if he may have passed away. But, but just the fact that he was willing 
To make that sacrifice, I'm thankful that we go to a church where there are so many fun, life-giving, tough, godly men that see what really matters, what's most important. And that really is what I wanna aim this message at. I could very easily just aim this at men, but I'm not gonna do that, okay? Uh, you're gonna start feeling like it's Father's Day because every Father's Day is like, man, I go to church on Father's Day and they just make me feel like I'm a horrible dad. <laughs> We're not doing that, okay? But, but it could aim it at men, but really I'm gonna aim it at everyone because how many of y'all know the word of God applies to all of us? Uh, but, but, but I do think that there is something inherently broken in our culture and in our country with the establishment and the heart and the desire that God had to have godly men leading, leading the way. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just saying it doesn't exist strong enough. But here's the deal. There's a lot of women that are in this place too that have been put in positions of leadership because God has anointed you and gifted you. And I'm thankful for that. And I know some of you have found yourselves in situations where you have to lead. Because if you're not leading, nobody's gonna lead. And I recognize and I honor and I respect that. But I do believe that God wants godly men leading families. He wants godly men leading marriages. He wants godly men pouring in to kids, amen? But I'm not gonna just talk to men, but I do need to just say that up front because if you haven't noticed, we live in some evil times. And we're gonna pray for everyone that was affected in the shootings yesterday. But you need to understand this. Please, 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 don't be so narrow-minded in your perspective to think that all of a sudden this is where we need to start talking about different political issues. Because whether it's the people that died yesterday and early this morning in shootings in our nation or the thousands of Christians that have been killed in Nigeria over the last month, women being raped and murdered and kids being stolen and put into child slavery, we live in an evil world. And you need to know this, government is not the answer. More legislation is not the answer. The answer is Jesus. But we've got to have godly men and women stepping up and leading. I don't think, I think even as the church gets stronger in Jesus' name it is, I think even as we have a generation that is owning the future and stepping into the purpose and calling that God has their life, that doesn't necessarily mean the evil's going to go away. I would anticipate it's going to increase. You're going to see more stuff on the news. Why? Because... The word talks about that all of creation, like it's in birthing pains, as you get closer, and I believe we are living in the last days. I don't know when. I mean, it could be years. I think it is going to be during my lifetime. I don't know, though. But I know as you get closer, it's like contractions. You're anticipating this miraculous, amazing event, but it's going to be painful in the process. And it gets increasingly painful. Okay, so all that being said, I want to talk to the issue of raising a generation and living in a generation of people 
that are not walking in the fullness of everything that God has called them to do and be. I've noticed some things as I've, as, even as I traveled around this summer, I've noticed that there are more and more young men and women that are stretching their adolescence. We've extended adolescence. Like adolescence used to be like for a few years when you were a teenager, right? For like 13, but by the time you were 18, it was kind of like an expectation. No, I don't need any more. Adolescence has gone way into the 20s, upper 20s, and early 30s. I mean, there are some men, biologically, they should be of the age to be men, and they are not men. They're adolescents. And I, I'm not slamming anybody. I, I'm just trying to be real and, and just, just telling you how I see it. Because every once in a while, I'll be like at a different church or whatever, and, and there'll be like this really godly woman, godly young woman, and she's like, you know, I, I'm getting to a place where I, I want to start finding somebody to marry, and I'm dedicated to the Lord, and I'm serious about the things of God, and I love the Word, and I love prayer, and I love all that, but all there are is a bunch of boys. And the other side of it is that once in a while I'll run into a young man. It's like, man, I'm, I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready to find a godly woman. I'm ready to find a woman who knows who she is in Christ, who doesn't have to advertise herself to try to put out her worth because she knows her worth. She knows what Jesus did for her. And I'm just looking for a godly woman who has a confidence of who she is in Christ, but all I can find is a bunch of little girls that are so insecure and wrapped up in what all of culture thinks about them. So sometimes when I find those two and they're in the same church, I'm like, hey, let me introduce you guys. <laughs> but I'm thinking about my kids too. I'm like, yeah. I want my boys to find godly women, not insecure little girls. And I want my girls, when they're 30, to find... <laughs> Somebody that better be really godly. Things have changed. I think that we contribute to the issue. I think a lot of us unintentionally contribute to the issue. We contribute to this lengthening of adolescence. Uh, because we've become helicopter parents. We've become parents that, <laughs> and so much of it is fear-based, but I was just reading about John Adams who sent his son, John Jr., when he was 14 years old on a ship across the ocean to go work at the American embassy in Russia. 14, a 14-year-old, 14 learned Russian, got on a boat, went across the sea, Worked at the, uh, at the American embassy in Russia at 14. <laughs> but he came back and was one of the most incredible presidents we ever had, John Quincy Adams. Uh, this last week, re read this article about this. I didn't even know about this story. A Medal of, Wetter, uh, Medal of Honor winner, this 14-year-old kid who convinced the recruiters he was 17 and went and fought in World War II and in the process threw himself on a grenade at 15 years old 
to save the men around him. He was the youngest Medal of Honor winner recipient ever that we know of. That we knew he lied about his age. We just had, we, we, but even when I was a kid, look, when I got home after school, nine years old, I got home after school, after I did my chores, the last thing you would ever want to say in my house is I'm bored. That's the last thing you ever said. You did your chores, you kept your head down, you did your chores, you did what, and then you didn't say anything, you just, but you know what my parents did? And I'm not saying this is the way you need to raise your kids, I'm just saying this is the way I was raised. My kids got me a BB gun when I was four years old. By the time I was nine years old, I had probably killed 500 prairie dogs with my BB gun. Like I had a scope on that thing. I would just go and shoot stuff for hours by myself out on this property, right? I I remember, look, there was just something intrinsic in me and, and kids that grew up around me where like we would just be sitting around the house maybe watching some, some TV and all of a sudden this idea would come in our head and we're like, I need to jump off my house. <laughs> I need to. How many of you men can relate to this? Like this happened to you. Look around you. Women don't get this. You're like, this, what's wrong with you people? And some of you girls get it and that's awesome but, but, but it's just like in our DNA. Like it just happens, just like, I, I don't know why, I just have this oh, thing I can't shake. I need to jump off my roof. I just need to do that. And I remember when I was young, man, we, we lived out on this ranch in the middle of nowhere. We had this big old hay barn. Like at the pinnacle, it was probably 30 feet at the top of that thing or higher. And the wintertime would come around and the snowdrift would kind of form off the side of the barn. Not a big snowdrift. Probably, you know, eight feet deep, something like that. Not yet, guys. <laughs> Easy. And I remember, I remember going in the house and being like, Mom, uh, I need a trash bag. She's like, what do you need a trash bag for? Well, it's a parachute. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. She gave me a trash bag. She wouldn't even question what I'm going to do. We're jumping off the top of the barn with our parachutes <laughs> into the snow trail. Oh, we didn't die. And it's still in me. So this last week, we were hanging out with some of the other campus pastors and stuff up at Heber, and there's a cliff. And I'm just like, that needs to be jumped off of, clearly. God put it there for that reason. And so me and my friend Corey Cangelos, one of other campus pastors, my friend Jason Kimbrough is another campus pastor. He, he took this short clip of us jumping off this cliff. I'm the, I'm the pale white guy on the right. Wow. Don't ever, ever, ever do that. Don't ever do it. It's insane. It's not wise. It's not a good steward of your life that God gave you. (laughs) Clearly, Jason and I were raised different. And he's joking. I get, look, if you got a fear of heights, whatever, I'm not saying you need to go jump off 45-foot cliffs or anything like that. But I do think that some of what he was saying there at the end is a real problem 
in some of us where we are dominated by fear. And it affects our kids too. Like we won't even let our kids play in the front yard anymore. So we go play in the backyard where it's fenced. So like, I've been online. I know every predator that lives in our community. <laughs> I want to play outside. Okay, you can play outside. If there is ever a slow-moving van, you run. <laughs> Especially the brown vans. Watch out for those. Or if you ever see a vehicle with more than four bumper stickers, because those people have anger issues, you know, then, then run. Run. We're just freaked out. I want to talk about living a life that's lame and God's desire for us to get up and step into the things that he has for us. Oh, I'm going to tell one of the most famous stories of, God, of Jesus healing someone or of, of a healing in the Bible. It wasn't Jesus I'm going to be talking about. And this is a physical healing, but man, I tell you, there is so much spiritual significance and symbolism around this story. And we're going to talk about what it means for us personally, but also what it means for us to raise people, to speak into people, whether you have kids or not, influencing a generation to get up and walk in the fullness of everything that God has for them. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and lovingly tell them, don't be lame. Don't be lame. Don't be lame. Stop being lame. Okay. Okay, simmer down. Some of y'all get way too passionate about this. <laughs> Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. For those that like studying the word, there were three times of prayer in Jewish culture, nine, noon, and three. Three happened to be the most popular time. It was later in the day, so that's when the bigger crowds were gonna be going to the temple to pray. Now a man crippled from how long? For how long? From birth. From birth. He has never walked. He has been crippled since birth, was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he is put every day to beg from those in the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but uh, what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and I want you to underline that. That's going to be important. We're going to talk a little bit about that. The, all the names that they give, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up, walk. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. Then he went into the court, or then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so a couple of things we can recognize about this. First of all, this man had been crippled since birth. 
crippled since birth. He had never stood on his own two feet, not once. So he was going nowhere in life. Maybe you know someone like that. He's going nowhere. He doesn't have the ability to stand on his own. Now here's the deal. You have to understand that people that are living in a lame lifestyle, it may be because nobody's ever helped them stand up. It may be because nobody's ever showed them how to do this. And the truth is, you, you can't man up until you know how to stand up. And, and sometimes you gotta help people to do that, but they have to understand and see what is keeping them from standing up, okay? So he's living in this place of complete defeat. And in Acts 4.22, it tells us how old this man was. He's over 40 years old. More than half of his life, or half of his life, life expectancy then wasn't actually very high, so more than half of his life, this is what he had done. This has been his existence, going nowhere. Another thing about them that we have to recognize is every day he's carried by someone else. Every day he's carried by someone else. You know that there is lameness around you when you're dependent on someone else to carry you where you need to go. Like when the only movement in your life only happens because someone else makes it happen for you, that could be lameness. When you can't take responsibility for what God has given you to do, you have to have someone else carry you. You know you're struggling with lameness when you know where to go and when to go to ask somebody else to help you. In other words, you have this keen sense of like, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna go anywhere, I, but I, I know, I know who, when, and where I need to go for, for everyone else to give me what I need. That may be an indication of some lameness happening in your life. So he's carried to the temple every day. Look, carrying a baby is a blessing, right? I mean, it's just as sweet as a baby, you know? You, 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 you don't mind that. You, 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 most people would embrace that responsibility. You love that. How do you all know when you're carrying an adult? That's a burden. That is tough. I remember this one time, I was on a, a missions trip down in Peru, and we were, had to come off this, this mountain, and there was this girl that was on our team, and she was, she was a little bit of a hypochondriac, okay? But we, we had to pack in there, so everybody was carrying a big backpack, and, and so she got in and decided that her hip was so injured and hurt that she couldn't walk another step. We're like, Oh, this is unfortunate. <laughs> and so we try, you know, we try, like, like, tell us what's going on. Like, what, how does it feel? It just hurts. I just can't. I just can't. I'm like, all right. So we had to get a stretcher. 
and put her on this stretcher and carry her off the top of this mountain. But part of the mountain that we had to carry her down was part of one of the Inca trails, okay? So the Incas, what they would do when they needed to go up a mountain, they didn't do switchbacks. They just built steps straight up the mountain, these stone steps. So it's raining, it's wet, and we are trying to negotiate this girl on a stretcher downstairs, and the Incas didn't have size 10 and a half feet. They had small feet, so the steps are about that wide and about that tall. Trying to carry this, oh my goodness. It was one of the most exhausting. How many of y'all know, like by the time we got off that mountain, I was like, let her die. (laughs) Just. There was a couple of times, there was a cliff, it was a little slick. I was like, ooh. Y'all, I got some stuff I got to work through. (laughs) We got her off the mountain, and we got her into a city and took her to this clinic. And we're like, you know, they didn't, it's in the middle of Peru in this small town, so it's not like they had, like, MRI machines and stuff like that. And so they, well, we can give her something for the pain. So I pulled the doctor aside. I said, look, um, you may have, like, pain pills, but I would much prefer... Um, you go like old-fashioned route and do a shot with the biggest needle that you have. <laughs> Here's the thing. The doctor's like, okay. <laughs> like, it's scary when the doctor's taking my advice <laughs> on how to treat a patient, right? <laughs> but that's the way it works sometimes in third world countries. Some countries, they'd call me doctor, and I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, so he, I went into the room, and he came in a little bit later, and he had, like, the biggest, like, like I wouldn't wish it on a horse. <laughs> he came in, and he's like, all right, we're going to give you something for the pain. And wouldn't you know it? She, God did a miracle on that girl's hip right there in that room. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she was, she was, she's like, oh, she actually, oh, wait. Let let me stand up. I think I'm okay. Then I really wanted her to die. Because caring people that are more than capable is a burden. It's it's tough. And guess what? When it's someone that's in that position, it's not just one person that's going to have to carry them. It's going to affect a lot of people. And what it's going to do is it's going to make the people that have to carry them less effective at what God had actually called them to do. Because they're consumed with having to carry the person who's more than capable, but they're being lame. And not walking the way that God had created them to walk. Are y'all picking up on what I'm saying?
there's this documentary on drug addiction, and in this drug in this documentary, the pan panhandlers, pan, is that how you say it? panhandlers? I don't know if reading it's going to help me. Yeah, panhandlers. So panhandlers, y'all seen panhandlers ever? Okay. Um, they were these older panhandlers were saying that these drug addicts, because a lot of panhandlers, you know, they 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 statistically speaking, a lot of them have some sort of substance issue, substance abuse. And so they're saying, hey, if you, if you really want to support your habit, move to the Bible Belt. Panhandle down there. Because people in the Bible Belt feel guilty when they don't help people. They feel like they're not a good Christian. Some of them feel like they'll go to hell if they don't help people. Like, this is in the document. I was like, oh, my goodness. And the thing is, that mindset has been happening for thousands of years. This isn't anything new. And the same mentality and mindset is in this man that's next to the temple courts. He's in the same place. Look, he has a legitimate issue. And I'm not putting that down. And if it's not clear, let me make it totally clear. I am not talking about physical lameness. People have real issues and real things that make it very difficult for them to function. And God has gifted and anointed other people to go and take care of those people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people. There ain't nothing wrong with them except this and this. That's what I'm talking about. But people get into a place where they have major thinking errors and heart issues that keep them lame. Lame people, it's like, I know, I know when to ask mama for something. I know when to ask dad, I know when to ask grandma for something. I know if I go over a certain time of night and she's tired, then, then she'll be vulnerable and then she'll give me what I want. But any parent has experienced this in your house, like when your kid will come up to you and they'll ask you for something and you say no, and what's the first thing they do? They go ask the other parent because they think maybe. So then they learn. They think they learn. Well, that parent's nice and that one's mean because that one gives me. And if you got that working in your house, you need to shut that down. It's expected in children, but I'm not talking about children. There are people that are middle-aged, older that live this way, that live with this mindset. What's the issue? First of all, lameness of the mind. It's the thinking error. You can write that down, lameness of the mind. I'm just not, it's where they're just not taking care of the responsibilities that an adult of their age should be taking care of. They don't think like an adult. They don't prepare like adult. They don't spend. They don't budget like an adult. They just have major thinking errors about how life works, about how everything should work around them. So it's, it's lameness of the mind. It's also sh social lameness. Now, this is where it's a victim mentality. It's like everyone is somehow against me, and everyone owes me something. And I think the government just needs to make this happen for me. I deserve this. I have had a really hard time. And so they just think like, and, and because of that, they don't have any real relationships. They, they make and lose friends very quickly. 
Because anybody that's trying to function like the people that God has created them to function like, eventually they're just like, I just, I got nothing else to give you. I don't know what else to tell you. And so they live in a very lonely existence, but then the enemy makes them believe it's everyone else. And they don't see that they're the common denominator. Maybe you have family that has lived that way. It's like, my whole family's against me. Really? So all of them? And you're the only one that's smart? You're the only one that's well-adjusted and wise and emotionally stable? Out of all your family, they just don't see it. They don't see it. But the worst one of all is spiritual lameness. It's so sad to me when when people have to step in and be the spiritual leaders for their families that God didn't actually intend to have to be the spiritual leaders. You know, sometimes when grandparents have to step in or, or, or when married women who have a husband and the husband's not leading spiritually. And usually it's because somewhere along the line, he wasn't equipped or is not choosing to walk in spiritual maturity. He's not choosing to say, I'm going to be the man and the leader that God's called me to be. But it happens. It happens with men and women. Spiritual lameness. They don't know when it's time to pray. Or even if they do want to know when it's time to pray, they don't. They don't have a hunger for the word. Look, lameness comes in all shapes and sizes, but the root of it, I think, is really just with this thinking. Someone has to do for me what I have chosen not to do for myself. That's kind of the root thinking error around it. And that's why this passage here is such a great picture of what a life lived like that looks like. Can't do anything on his own. He's living life with his hand out and his head down as a beggar. I want to make something clear about Jesus. Peter and John knew this. Jesus did not enable people. He empowered people. Jesus didn't go around like, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give validity to your thinking error about your ability to live the full life that I came to give you. It's counterproductive. Jesus didn't go around enabling people to be victims. He didn't go around enabling people to have this mindset. He went around empowering people to walk beyond it. That's what he did. And that's really important for us to understand too because sometimes we will confuse our form of grace for God's grace. It's very different. And sometimes you think that your form of grace, man, I'm, I just want to love. And For all you know, you are getting in the way of the greatest love that they could ever experience because until they get to a place where they surrender their lives completely and trust in God and then step into the fullness of who he called them to be, until they get to that point, you could be keeping them from getting to that point by continuing to give them your form of grace. And sometimes you got to get out of the way. Sometimes the most loving, gracious thing you can do is say, 
oops. <laughs> or just let them come to the end of themselves. Sometimes people have to come to the end of themselves. It's not that you just ignore them, abandon them. You can still love them. You can still check in on them. But don't keep having the same conversation over and over and over and over and over again, expecting different results. That's the definition of insanity. So turn to your neighbor and tell them this. Don't be crazy. Some of y'all act so crazy. It's like, I just keep trying. I just, they just still need me. I just keep trying. Jesus was at the well of Siloam. And there was a lame man at this well. And the tradition said that an angel would come and stir the waters of this well. And if people would get in while the angel was stirring the waters, that they could be healed. And this man was taken every day to the edge of these waters. And Jesus came up and said, like, what are you doing? He's like, well, every time the angel comes and stirs the water, nobody will get me down into the water. And Jesus asked what seemed to be a crazy question, but it's incredibly significant. He looked him in the eyes and says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Because the honest answer to that question is the most important question to answer. Until the person that is around you that is living in lameness truly wants to be well, you can't help them. And some people love staying in a place. It has become comfortable. Everything on the outside suggests that they want to move on, but really everything in their mind and in their heart is like, nah, this is comfortable now. I like this now. And they can't move forward. So let's get back to the story. It's the ninth hour, three o'clock. Peter and John, look, they're headed into the temple, I believe, for the same reason that the beggar is there because they know that's when the most people are gonna be there. And remember, they're preaching the gospel now. So they're trying to impact crowds of people. But they see this guy, and in verse four it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. Look at us. I like this. <laughs> Look at us. Because he's just kind of like this. Just give it to me. Just help me. Look at us. So he looks at him. But if I went to, like, somebody comes up to the church and they're like, man, I just, I need some money. I need, some, I need you to give me some money. And I promise you, if I said, Look at me, they're immediately going to think, He's going to give me some Benjamins right now. So he gets. They get his attention. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something. Look at me. But this is what he says. Silver and gold I do not have. The most important thing, one of the most important things we can understand, money can't cure lameness. Money can't cure this. This is not a money problem. This mindset and this this issue of living a lame life It's not an issue of what, it's an issue of who. It starts there. Until you know who God is and what he's called, it doesn't matter what you try to add to it. It's not going to help. It's not going to help. The U.S., our country, has proven this. Because we have thrown trillions of dollars at problems. In our own country and problems around the world in other countries. And guess what? hasn't fixed anything. So money is not the solution. 
I'm not saying having stuff is wrong as long as you're still being restored while you have the stuff. But if you think the stuff is the solution and you're not being restored, you're lying to yourself. Because here's the thing. A lame person, a person who's living a lame lifestyle, they'll always think, man, honestly, if I just had this bill taken care of, if I just had this money, if I just had this, then everything would be all right. But I promise you this, I could give somebody $50,000 and in a week, they're gonna be back to me and lame. Just study the, you guys ever study the people that win the lottery? You ever study these people? You know the stats of how many of those people are broke and in debt within a couple years? I'm like, how did you go broke on $50 million? It's because this was broke and this was broke before they ever had it. It doesn't, it didn't help them. Money isn't the solution to this. There's this psalm, I think it's in the Bible, um, about Humpty Dumpty, and uh, it, it says, y'all know this, right? It's not really in the Bible, but he's like, heretic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tweeting all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, but but, but do, you, do you understand the gist of this nursery rhyme? Because to me, it's like this deep meaning. It's like, well, we all know how it goes, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the kings and all the kings couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. There isn't enough money and legislation and government in the world that can put a person back together. Jesus puts people back together. He's the only one. The application of his word the leading of his Holy Spirit, that's the only thing that puts people back together again. The only thing. The problem is this man wants just enough money to keep his lameness intact. Just for another day. 40 years. 40 years. Number two, Jesus Christ of Nazareth makes people walk. Then Peter said, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, taking him by the right hand. In other translations, it's much more aggressive. It says, seizing him, seizing him by his arm. Anybody ever been snatched before? A little snatching going on? Been snatched? I've been snatched. I remember getting snatched by my dad. I've snatched my kids before. That's one of those ones that are doing something. You grab that arm and you pull them right. As soon as they got snatched, as soon as they're snatched, they're like, uh-oh, this ain't good. Like their whole world is just about to change like in that moment. But it gets their attention, right? Snatch them. And that's what, that's what Peter does with his men. Snatches them. Grabs his arm. I'm going to give you what you really need. What really makes a difference. And helping him up that's important. And helping him up. And instantly, everybody say instantly. The man's feet and ankles became strong. What? I love this. This is all about Jesus. This is all, of, when you go to help people, you have to understand that Jesus has to be the hero. If you go at it with anything else, you're going to miss his will. And even if you do a little bit of good, it ain't going to last. 
Jesus has to be the hero. Jesus wants to be the hero. Jesus gets all the glory. And when that happens, that's when real change happens. That's when real healing happens. When Jesus is the hero. But here's the thing. How many of y'all know that all authority is in a name? Y'all didn't know that? I'm sorry. If it's new to you, all authority is in a name, right? Okay? That's why when a police officer pulls you over, you pull over versus somebody else that just is like, hey, yo, you were driving fast. You don't pull over when just, you know, Joe pulls, says, pulls up next to you, pull over. Like, no, Joe, I'm not going to do it. I know you, you crazy. But if an officer has a title in the name of Officer Joe, you're going to pull over. All authority is in a name, Right? Like if I went to a bank, and I went to a bank, I say I, I need some money, I need a loan, a big loan, and they and I, they said, well, let us have your idea, let us have your information. My name's James Cody Bennett. I'm like okay, they're gonna look me up and be like, we can give you enough money to buy a Ford Fiesta, <laughs> an older model. The new ones are nice, okay, not slamming. Versus if I came in and I said. I need some money. What's your name? James Cody Walton. (laughs) Of the Waltons. (laughs) What do you need? All of it. Because the name carries authority. So why? They could have said, Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus Christ our Savior, Jesus Christ the Messiah. So why Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Two reasons. There were false teachers and false preachers that were going around that had the name Jesus that were giving false gospel. Okay? That was one of the reasons. But the other reason I think is so, so much more significant. Because early in the word it said, what good can come from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? This is Jesus who was raised in Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth is like a nowhere, dead-end place. You know? It's like if a flood hit Nazareth, nobody rebuild nothing. If a tornado hit Nazareth, it'd do $2 million of improvements. That's like, this place is just, like, nothing ever get good came from Nazareth. So they're pointing out where Jesus is from. Why? Because it doesn't matter where you've come from, Jesus can still help you. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Jesus came from a no-end, dead-end town, and he still got up and did what his heavenly father asked him to do. He still fulfilled his purpose. So what does this mean? It means there is no excuse. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. You don't understand the house I grew up in, how my family was. You don't understand public schools are really hard and I got bullied. I was raised by wolves in the Ozarks. You don't understand. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter where you've come from. Jesus is Jesus. He's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So if he got up and got out, of Nazareth and the grave, you can get up and get out of anything from your past. If you believe in the full authority of the name of Jesus Christ and surrender to it.
with everything that you have. When you see lame people, it's typically that the wrong thing has snatched them. The wrong thing has grabbed them. That's usually what causes this. And so they just need to to be shown there is a way. There is a way. There's a person who can set you free, who can heal you, who can bring complete and total restoration. And here's what I love. It says immediately. Guys, think about this miracle. This man has never used his legs his entire life. He doesn't know how to walk. And suddenly, not only can he stand on his feet, but he is walking and leaping and praising. I love that about people with a testimony. They don't have sophisticated worship. People with a testimony, when God has really moved in someone's life, they just aren't at that place where they're like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do certain things in worship. They don't know. They're just crazy about Jesus because Jesus healed them. Jesus set them free. But I love this because, because so often we put time frames on what God can do. And I just want you to know, God doesn't need time. He just needs a willing heart. He needs obedience. And I believe that God can change this in an instant, immediately. If you're ready. If you're ready. If you're ready. And I think some of you today needs to be your ready day. And it may be that you know someone that's living like this. They're just living in in lameness. They're living in a place where they're just not. And it can be on different levels. Look, there's times in my life where I'm tempted to live this way, especially mental lameness, where I'm just like, I'm just tired. (sighs) There's some things that I could probably do that would be productive, but I'm just going to find a series. I'm just going to, you know... And I'm saying that that, it's okay to do that every once in a while, but it's really easy to justify it more and more and more and more. So I can struggle with this too. But you may know someone that's like, man, they've been living this way for a long time. They're still in that. I believe Jesus can heal, can restore in an instant. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads.